0: Hello, this is Steph Reed, and welcome to episode six of the podcast, where we're focusing on understanding anxiety in autism. A 2019 collaboration between Sebastian Gage from the Autism Research Group at City University of London and Jane Crawford and Helen Cottle from the Autism and Social Communication Team at West Sussex County Council resulted in an evidence-based guide to anxiety in autism. And this guide is free to read on the City University of London website. And there is a link also to the guide in the episode show notes. And I had the absolute great pleasure of speaking to Jane and Helen for this episode and learning about the latest understanding in anxiety and autism. Around 40% of autistic children, young people and adults are believed to have one or more anxiety disorder compared to 10 to 15% of the general population. The information in the guides and what you will now hear Helen and Jane speak about will help teachers, professionals, parents and carers make informed decisions about how to promote the mental health of autistic individuals, including understanding the potential causes of anxiety, how anxiety presents differently in autistic individuals compared to neurotypical individuals, and practical strategies to help and support. I guarantee you will understand anxiety and autism much better after listening and looking at the guide. A huge thank you to Jane and Helen and to Sebastian Gage for this really, really important research and findings, and also to Stephen Pictel at West Sussex County Council who introduced me to the team. Okay, I know you will, enjoy the episode. And here's your host, my favourite teacher, Steph Reid. Well, thank you, Jane and Helen, for your time today. It's really appreciated. It'd be really interesting to talk about the Evidence-Based Guide to Anxiety and Autism. And, I mean, this guide is really informative and it really gives clear explanations of, you know, current understanding of anxiety and autism as well as what potential causes of anxiety could be, and also strategies that can help individuals manage anxiety. I'll put a link to the the guide in the show notes. Um, But firstly, Jane and Helen, before we talk about the guide, uh, what is your experience in autism and your current roles?
1: Okay so um my I came into the world of autism really because I was teaching in a primary school and um it appeared that there were more children having social communication difficulties and also I taught a couple of children who had a diagnosis of autism mm-hmm. so I had to, I became fascinated by it really which led me to end up applying to join the autism and social communication team 11 years ago yeah. and and then Um, we as part of the role I studied at the University of Birmingham distance course for yeah so um, and then it's been my pleasure to lead the team for the last eight years and so the experience really is just the hands-on experience Mm. within schools Mm. and then supporting the children that we do now across county
2: uh, mine's a slightly different routine, um, so I, worked, I was working in the corporate world um, and became pregnant with my first child, mm. and my very last job um, was to go to the National Autistic Society, heavily pregnant, mm. and pick up a brief from them. And while I was sat in reception, um, I sat there thinking, oh, I don't know a lot about this autism thing, I wonder mm. what it's all about. Two years later, the baby that I've been carrying was diagnosed with autism, at two years old Um, and it's been a journey for me ever since he's going to be 18 in a couple of months Um, so he took me on a journey i did it in reverse order Um, as a parent i was really interested became more and more interested in autism so i took the distance learning from birmingham and then became a ta and then became a teacher and then i landed what i call my dream job to be working with these individuals every day so i've been on the team for six years now yes
0: oh that's great great to hear the the different journeys and routes and okay so let's talk about the guide anxiety and autism so how did this come about okay so shall I kick that off so
2: I um, met um, dr. Sebastian Gage um, who's um, the doctor who um, has done the research that this is all based on at an event in Crawley we were both presenting Um, I listened to his presentation And then he um, listened to ours and afterwards we met and um, basically said we must have some things that we could do together because he was doing the theory on the one side and we were doing the practice on the other. And one of the the kind of tenets of our team is to recommend things that are based on evidence. So this was a perfect opportunity to look at what the evidence was Mm. for the strategies that we were recommending. Mm. So that's where it all started so then it developed from there to us attending an event of his and talking at that with him and then he attended a he spoke at a conference of ours and then out of that the kind of natural evolution of that was to
0: work together on this guide so the guide really gives a good summary of what is currently understood about anxiety in autism it would be really great to hear a summary of this um, uh, what I found really helpful in because I've, I've shown this booklet to parents and, and teachers and to think about anxiety as separate from autism absolutely I think I think that is the key message yes. of the, the guidance and
2: that is that it is a separate entity yes. um, I think it's been very easy in the past for people to, to just dismiss it and say well Anxiety mm. is part of autism, so mm. you have to learn to live with it. Um, it isn't. Mm. It, there may be some parts of your autistic um, condition that may be contributing to your anxiety, mm. but it's a separate entity, and we can work on that anxiety and develop strategies mm. and make life much more comfortable mm. for our autistic individuals. Mm. De- definitely, from our, yeah. our sorts of practice in the, in
1: the county, that was good news for us to hear, because we've always yeah. thought that was the case,
0: yeah.
1: but yeah. But it's really good that it's been backed it, up yeah, by the research. Yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah. For it to be um, really clear in this guide, I think that helps people's understanding.
2: I think also it's the fact that it can be difficult to identify that yeah. anxiety sometimes for our autistic, because it may present in quite an unusual yeah. yes. way. And that's, that might be the, the autistic yeah. part of it. So, for example, if you um, in the guide it compares social anxiety in a neurotypical person, yes. so they, they worry about what people might be thinking mm-hmm. about what they're doing. That wouldn't be the case of how mm-hmm. social anxiety would present for an autistic person. Mm-hmm. They would be um, thinking more about um, what the kind of barriers they need to overcome, what they need mm-hmm. to do next. Rather yeah. than what other people, so it presents as is quite a di- in quite different. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's both of those um, scenarios are social anxiety, but they present quite differently mm. in an autistic individual. Mm. And I think the difference
1: is is that th- that those in a neurotypical where their wa- their social anxiety comes from wanting to impress their mates mm. and yeah. uh, not making a fool of themselves. I think the difference is, and why possibly it's a higher level of anxiety in somebody with autism is because there is that level of panic of I don't actually know what, what I can do. Mm. I don't actually know how to overcome this. So it builds and builds and builds. Mm. Um, and and it, it is something that we try really hard with our schools is to get them to see that some of the behaviours that they're commenting on to us, yeah. the underlying thing... Obviously, the autism is related, but actually there is an anxiety there as well. Yeah. So it's been helpful from yeah. that point of view as well.
0: So looking at the differences and how anxiety presents um, alongside autism. What, so what are the statistics showing us?
2: Um, 10 to 15% of the general population will have an anxiety disorder at some point in their life, Yes. whereas 40%. Of autistic yeah. children, adolescents, and adults, I, I thought, thought at that
1: least would be one. higher. That's where mm. it becomes a dis- an anxiety disorder. Dis- yeah, we would say, and so would uh, Seb, that it's eighty to ninety percent of people with autism experience, experience anxiety. anxiety, high yeah. high levels of anxiety. Yeah. But, n- and it's difficult, really, because obviously when you're you're providing a statistic on where somebody's received a diagnosis. It does come back to um, our health colleagues also understanding that anxiety can be a separate mm. condition to the autism. Yeah. And I think for a long time, lots of, lots of us have thought that the anxiety is so integral to the autism, mm. it hasn't been recognized as a separate disorder. Mm. So you're not the only person who thinks that figure seems yeah. low. I think, yeah, Seb and his colleagues would probably think that's yes low. Mm. Absolutely, but it's because it's based on diagnosis. It's, yeah, I think it's m- as well what we would want to say is that it's because everybody experiences anxiety. Mm. Neurotypicals, you know, everyone experiences mm. anxiety. So it's the level of anxiety mm. that someone with autism experiences that I think is also important to stress mm. because otherwise also we do work with some people who think well we all experience mm. anxiety so yeah. they just need Look. to get on with it but actually they need the strategies to yes. be able to overcome And it's also the anxiety.
2: minutiae of that anxiety. Yeah. So um, we've got a member of our team who um, talks about um, uh, somebody she works with or knows really closely and um, she's helped supported her to um, how she... For example, she got very anxious about handing dissertations in. Yeah. So they worked on strategies on what she had to do when she was finding difficulty with her work, what she could do, who she could talk to, how she could approach them, how she could break things down. So now, when she has a dissertation, mm. she knows how to reduce her anxiety about that. Mm. but then there'll be another thing. Mm. So yeah, but it is each but so is each situation is new whereas again on a neurotypical we might we might have learned a strategy for managing an anxiety around a specific thing and then we'll start to generalize it. Yeah. But because of yes. our, the individuals yeah. with autism mm. that generalization is really yeah. difficult. So each new mm. anxious possibly anxious situation mm. is a new situation. We can't they can't generalize something from a learning mm.
0: before those triggers and potential causes of anxiety can uh, obviously look very different and be very different. And it's kind of really clear in this guide you've broken it down into some different key areas. So if we can talk about those possible causes of yeah, anxiety sure in autism. Yeah.
2: So they've, uh, what, what um, Seb has actually and his team have um, developed um, is actually a model of mm. what, how those different things work together. So they've identified a range of things. So it, but essentially, the kind of algorithm that it starts with mm. is that Alex, alexithymia, and I'll come on to explain that some yeah. more, yeah. plus intolerance of uncertainty, equals anxiety and autism. So that's the algorithm that we'd start with. Mm -hmm. But there are all sorts of things that are gonna feed into that, and the model that the university Mm -hmm. produced makes that um, really clear sense of that. Um, So one of the things that will feed into that intolerance of uncertainty Mm -hmm. are sensory processing differences. So we know that's part of, it's now recognized in the the DSMV um, handbook of diagnosis, that that is a key part of the autism condition, mm-hmm. So sensory processing. So there is one of your key things that's going to be un- uncertain for you mm-hmm. because your sensory um, system is set up differently, you're receiving information differently, you're processing it differently. So you're seeing the world differently and receiving your information differently. So that means that quite often the world's unpredictable for you, yeah. so there's that in- one of the things that'll be contributing to that intolerance of uncertainty. Um, With um, alexithymia, that's the ability to label your emotions. So again, we know that that can be a real um, difficulty Mm -hmm. with some of our um, autistic individuals, and that links to their interoceptive sense. So that's a new sense that we've become aware within the last 18 months, yeah. which is your sense of knowing what your internal state is. Mm-hmm. So it might be related to something like hunger, thirst, um, heat, but it also might be related to um, feeling a bit excited, a bit yeah. cross. Mm-hmm. So if you have a slight fluttering in your tummy and you feel yeah. a bit antsy, your brain, for us neurotypicals, would process that and say yeah. that we're feeling a bit nervous. But for autistic individuals who have poor interceptive processing, they would be experiencing those internal messages, but not able to process what they are. Mm. So you can see how that would link to alexithymia. So if you don't know what that feeling is, you can't actually label it. So all of those, again, will be making life unpredictable, which is that intolerance of uncertainty. So Mm -hmm. there's another contributor there. And that then will link to your ability to be able to regulate your emotions. Mm -hmm. Because if you can't recognize what they are, you're not sure what you're feeling, Mm -hmm. then how can you regulate them? So again, that will be contributing to your anxiety. Mm -hmm. And then the other part of the model that um, Sebeni's team have identified is the um, repetitive behaviors, which often act as um, kind of a a way of Mm self-regulating. Now, they may not always be socially appropriate, and they may not always be acceptable in, for ex- in schools, for example. Mm. Um, you know, to be able to yeah. run up and down suddenly yeah. um, in your classroom is n- possibly not an acceptable thing to do. Yeah. So those are things that we need to look at and think about, OK, is it socially acceptable? If it is, can there be some allocated time for it? Can we yeah. support the young person to recognise the need to do this, whether it's sensory-based or some other um, mm-hmm. repetitive behaviour that helps them? But that, you can see how repetitive behaviours can also have an impact back on that intolerance of uncertainty because they're in charge of it yes. so it is predictable so it reduces that intolerance of uncertainty so we get this kind of circular model of different mm-hmm. things feeding in in different ways.
0: Mm. Teachers and teaching assistants, do you want to feel really prepared and equipped to meet the diverse needs in your class? Do you want to effectively manage, de-escalate, and minimize behavior that's challenging? Do you want to confidently and effectively lead your team in the classroom to maximize impact? Or do you want to stop spending lots of time looking for resources and strategies? Then I'm here to help. Autism for Teachers is an accessible anytime online training course designed to help teachers and teaching assistants meet the holistic needs of autistic children and young people. After consulting in lots of different schools as an autism specialist teacher and advising hundreds of teachers and school leaders on high quality autism provision and practice, I've put together Autism for Teachers to give you an easy and accessible way of gaining the practical strategies and resources that are going to help you effectively support autistic children's learning. Expand your knowledge of autism, developing communication, supporting sensory processing, emotional regulation, behavior, and social interaction with a comprehensive resource base of bite-sized videos featuring lots of practical ways that you can help and support children's learning, progress, and well-being. Perfect for busy teachers can gain a toolbox of evidence-based strategies and skills as well as downloadable resources such as visual support like timetables or editable documents like behavior support plans or classroom organization. We also have packages for schools. Come and join now at AutismSpectrumTeacher.com to get started straight away.
1: and it 's interesting that one of the pieces of or, or quite a, a, several pieces of research actually have shown, and we definitely see that evidenced in our uh, work with pupils mm-hmm. is that because of the uh, misunderstanding of their emotions, when they 're feeling anything it it tends to default just generally so this is a bit stereotypical, mm-hmm. not everybody obviously but generally as anger, mm-hmm. so then they I can think of one particular boy who, as soon as he feels excited and happy mm-hmm. and pleased, so when he's praised for a piece of work and becomes overly pleased, mm-hmm. it becomes processed as anger, so he then behaves mm-hmm. as if he's angry. So people around him will then behave in a response to that mm-hmm. that is completely not predicted with him, because what he thinks he's displaying mm-hmm. is how pleased He is. And we have quite a high number of schools or situations, I would say, where people say they just seem so angry all the time. Mm -hmm. And we wonder whether even when they're hungry or Mm -hmm. thirsty, is it coming out as an expression? Are they expressing it as anger because of the
2: the difference in the way it's processed. Mm. And that there's a book by um, a lady called Kelly Marler called Interception, mm-hmm. and she, it's American, so um, but there are quite a few anecdotes in that from young people who've had occupational therapy for interception. We don't have it in this country at the moment. And the anecdotes, all, most of them are saying my go-to response to everything was anger oh, yeah. before yeah. I could recognise what that was. And that kind of make it really makes sense for me for... You know, the, the kid at um, primary school whose passion is fire stations and everything, fire brigade, yes. and they're queuing up to go on a trip to the local fire station, and he hits his best friend yeah. who's standing in the queue next yeah. to him. And it's because that, that high state of arousal, which is excitement, mm-hmm. but whenever he's in that high state of arousal, which often might be anxiety, it might be anger, mm-hmm. but what he does, his strategy when he's at that high level of arousal is to hit yeah. somebody because that's a strategy that gets him some attention and helps him to de-escalate from that kind of uncomfortable feeling. Mm-hmm. But because it, And everybody is dumbfounded because they know all he talks about is fire stations, fire engines, mm-hmm. fire brigades, but he's just... <laughs> lumped his best friend mm. um, and they're going on the trip to the fire station but it mm. makes a lot of sense of it yeah and yeah. it's important I think so what's
1: you know it's not listed as a strategy in here and I know later you wanted to talk about are there other strategies mm. but I think what we as a team would say is very important and helpful to as an overarching strategy to supporting individuals mm with autism, mm. with their anxiety, is having a really good understanding of all the aspects of autism that contribute yes. to how somebody is processing information, yeah. so that they understand, you know, that, mm. that understanding, so that you're not, in- you can reinterpret mm. what somebody's displaying when they look like they're being angry, mm. you just need to think through. Mm what they might really be feeling yeah. and what might they really be expressing. Yeah. Because then you have the right conversations with them. Yeah.
0: Even that initial response exactly. to that emotion is going to have such an impact on, on that individual. It, absolutely. So
1: I think that's... And that, and that's what we spend quite a lot of our time doing is obviously doing training. Yeah. Um, to to help people to just look at it a slightly different yeah way and of and of course, it's important to say as well that they understand and autism, but they understand the autism for that individual
0: yes yeah
1: because- I mean that's why we love it so much because yeah. it's so fascinating because no one's the same no, so it keeps rhythm. you all on your toes yeah, but I think having that really good grounding and understanding of all the aspects in, yeah. of autism can help
0: a lot and I can see that in in my practice and the schools that that I work with, the difference in terms of those responses to children or individuals because of their own understanding themselves of that person or of autism. Mm. So using this understanding about anxiety in autism, what would you say are some effective strategies that could help to... Um, reduce or, or for individuals to manage their anxiety.
1: Before we speak about the sorts of real nitty gritty of the ones mm-hmm. that are in here I think because Seb would say that probably the sing- if we had to pick something that was the single
0: yeah.
1: big cause for there being more anxiety with in right, those yeah. with autism which is that intolerance of uncertainty yeah. is just to remind everybody of the more predictable you can make the environment then there's more certainty Mm -hmm. because it's you know you're going to teach them and hopefully provide strategies to help them be more tolerant of Mm -hmm. uncertainty but while you're doing that Mm -hmm. if you can make the world as predictable predictable as possible then you're giving them space to be able to take on the strategies you're teaching them so those sort of fundamental strategies of routine Visual timetables because they can be very helpful mm-hmm. in teaching that change is all right and only this part of the day is mm-hmm. changing. I don't think they should be underestimated. They're no. not made. S- then they're, they're not the key ones in mm-hmm. that are in here because these are the ones yeah. to help individuals manage their learn to mm-hmm. manage their anxiety. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important just to mention that those yeah. fundamental strategies
0: are, are very really helpful. Very. Very helpful, very important, and it's the consistency as well absolutely that really yeah. has an impact in terms of making that environment um, predictable mm. like my experience is, um is is mainly teaching in i've taught in mainstream schools but also in autism specific schools where the environment is completely set up to be as predictable as possible with every child having their um, their own visual visual timetable as you say that's meaningful to them whether it's going to be with photos or objects or symbols and um, using other strategies such as music or song to to um, support different times of the day or like gradually you know changing the times of things or
2: But that's developing resilience 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 for change, not just going everything. Yes, exactly. And to be fair, um, you're talking about that experience in special school, but a lot of what we're talking about is just good practice for all all children. You know, most people feel more comfortable if they know what's ahead. Yeah, You know, most children will probably attend better to their learning if they know what the timetable is for that learning. Yeah,
0: I'm forever telling, you know, any teacher just you know, have the timetable for, for the day written on the board or have, have a visual timetable for the class because it's going to help everyone. That's it's not going to hinder anything. No, no. It's only going to help. We so, had,
2: yeah. we, because we get to see, um, you know, other people like yourselves. Yeah. So, so we, we've done some work with the girl, girls at Limsfield Grange mm. um, School in Oxford. And one of their suggestions was to have next to um, the, the visual timetable what's different oh, yes. today board.
0: Oh, brilliant.
2: So, of course, you go through yeah. the visual timetable, but then you go through the what's different, different today. Way. And start with small-scale things. So it might mm. be PPA time. So teacher's mm. going to be out there, so this is going to be the different teacher yes. then. But also highlighting all things going to be the same. So the TA is still going to be in here. All your friends yeah. are still going to be in here. You're still going to have lunch. Mm. You're still going to have afternoon registration. So all of those... Kind of things, but starting to introduce that, Um, and I've seen it done really well. Mm. Um, And it's kind of, I was in one primary school where it becomes so much part of that classroom routine, the year two class, that the children, they went through the class teacher went through the visual timetable and then they all repeated back what's different today you know and it became but it's a really comfortable environment to explore that change Mm. and it's positive yeah Yeah. absolutely yeah 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 yeah.
1: it's done in a really positive oh what's different today rather than we did have one experience some years ago where a class teacher's symbol on the visual timetable for what's different today was a black cloud so we (laughs) I mean, and it wasn't intentionally meant to be. It just happened that she had a cloud for that feeling of, oh, I don't know what it might be. So, but having it changed to a surprise symbol or even a question mark, we felt was a bit more positive than a black Mm. cloud. (laughs) So, but in terms of... the key strategies. Mm.
2: Do you want to talk a little bit about? So if you break those down, I I guess the key areas then are thinking about the intolerance of uncertainty, the sensory processing and the lexithymia. Mm. So in terms of the intolerance of uncertainty, it's thinking about what can we do to work with that individual Mm. to um, undo. So Helen mentioned all the things that we can do to help make life more predictable, but actually to support them to understand so comic strip conversations, so we unpick what, what was the misunderstanding they might have had about a yeah. situation that made it unpredictable for them, and support them to see what, is a, what was actually the situation. Yeah. Social stories, to explain things to them before they happen, mm-hmm. um, they can have a huge impact, um, um, and then, programs like the Zones of Regulation, which is a yeah. self-regulation program, but yeah. we love it because it's so holistic yeah. Yeah, mm. and it, cu- it covers, you know, part of that is to um, explore um, self-regulation and um, that kind of how you manage that intolerance of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of looking at your emotional regulation, what strategies you might have mm-hmm. to have. And then on the sensory processing side of things, um, it's about working with the individual to develop their own individual sensory profile mm-hmm. so understanding what their difficulties are what their their preferences are mm-hmm. um, and seeing how that can be worked into their day and worked into their life mm-hmm. so there'll be the preventative things that they can do from a sensory point of view and there will be the reactive things mm-hmm. so that might be the preventative might be that they need to have some proprioceptive yeah. work so whether that is carrying some heavy books from yeah. one classroom to a next or going on a trampette for a few seconds or minutes through to, in the reactive way, having ear defenders on hand. Mm -hmm. So when it does get noisy, they just slip the ear defenders on Mm -hmm. and that reduces that noise that might be um, giving them the sensory overload that's making life uncomfortable for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on the alexithymia side of um, things, uh, we know that that affects about 50% of individuals on the the spectrum. Um, so it's about working with them to be able to identify those mm. th- those internal states. So that might be some mindfulness t- type of work, mm. and that is very much what Seven's um, team found was the most effective. The mindfulness right, CBT yeah. was the, had the most impact mm. on the... because this is based on adults mm. um, with autism, had the most effect on them. So being able to tune into your body, learning how yeah. to tune in and listen to your body, mm. Um, that might be something that we do. And there's some really good resources out there. Um, one of them is a, um, a book by Tina Ray and a couple of other people, which is called The Essential Guide to Mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is very much um, all different age groups, but some yeah. mindfulness, very easy mindfulness activities that start to support them to tune into their bodies. Yeah. Um, So that might be something that we do. And then also then working on that emotional literacy and that emotional regulation. Again, that comes back to the zones of regulation where there's Mm. lots of activities in there to support children and young people to start to recognise what they're feeling Mm. um, and how they can manage those feelings. Mm. Yeah, how to respond to them.
1: And I think as well, something that's often missed, and in fact we even find it hard to accommodate, and I absolutely understand why busy classrooms find it hard to accommodate but it's about almost going full circle and when they have managed a situation well and you can see that they have started Mm. to independently manage their anxiety is almost then to do a celebration social story Mm. that reinforces for them that you did manage it because they're not we we know that those with autism and we're not exactly sure why but they tend to default to focusing on a negative rather than the positive so they're not very good at recognizing where they have succeeded yeah. in managing a situation so i think if we can yeah
0: that's really but it's
1: quite hard when things have gone well mm-hmm. to spend the time yeah. really formally recognizing that yeah. rather than
2: and i i can I focusing support, on the next negative i support that completely with uh, my son who has autism but he's also yeah. got severe learning difficulties so he yeah. goes to special school and on the few occasions when I have had the time to do a celebration story after he has achieved something. So he did a farm placement last year. So I did loads of preparation with him about listening to the adults and trying to follow their instructions. But one of his favorite things to do is to look back on the Mm. celebration story of, what he did on the farm oh, placement yeah. and when he did listen to the adults and what he was able to do yeah. when they asked him to do something. So it's one yeah. of his favourite things. So yeah. not only has it you know, it helped to reduce his anxiety, but it's also helped boost his self-esteem, uh, yeah, which will have a positive it. effect yeah. on, on an ongoing because basis Because that's,
1: that's a human response, isn't it? If mm. we receive recognition and praise mm. for doing something well, we're more likely to give it a go next time. Yes aren't we? I th- yeah. And I think that's true of anybody yeah. with or without autism. Yeah. So yes. if we can do that, particularly when, uh, I mean, we, I don't want to mention the zones of regulation too much, but we do really like it because yeah. we do think as a single tool, because it's so multifaceted itself, it does fit with mm. the sort of algorithm mm. in the guide to try and combat lots of those elements. Mm. Um, so once they are starting to use their own zones of regulation independently and, and are starting to help themselves to mm-hmm. feel okay, yeah. even when they're in, a, in the yellow zone or yeah. red zone, um, it, if we can recognise that formally. It's yeah. I think that, that fits
2: with what we've often talked about and you brought up earlier about um, the temptation for carers and parents mm-hmm. and staff um, who are involved with children and young people with autism to try and make things right so they don't get anxious. Mm. We, all, mm. we all feel anxiety, and that's a healthy yeah. thing to feel, but it's how we manage that anxiety, and that's the message in the zones. There's no bad zone.
0: Yeah.
2: And it may be that you spend most of your life in the kind of rising emotion, that yellow sort of zone. Yeah. But that's okay if you've got tools and you can manage you can, yeah. that. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that's really good for your kind of ongoing
0: life, if Mm. you can manage that. Yeah. Are you a parent or carer looking for ways to help your child's development? Are you looking to upskill your own knowledge to help you better advocate for your child? There is a lot of information out there, And I certainly know it can feel very overwhelming trying to navigate it all, to find ways that are really going to help your child and their progress. Autism for Parents is an accessible anytime online course full of bite-sized videos and downloadable resources giving you lots of practical ways and tips that you can help your child in the areas of developing communication, sensory needs, behaviour, emotional regulation, transitions and social interaction. I'm also offering further personalised support with myself, Steph Reed, an autism specialist teacher and consultant to help you identify tailored ways to help your child. Come and join now at autismspectrumteacher.com. Wow, so much brilliant information (laughs) here. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I was wondering if you have any Examples. I mean, it's great to hear about your son. Um, any any other examples of where you know you've really seen a big impact on a child or a group of children with um, some some of these strategies that have been implemented? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I we've got I've got
1: one um, child who's a year four pupil. In fact, probably I can give you an example of one who's in year four and one who's in year nine, where the zones of regulation have been introduced to, to them and um, it it the a big message i suppose i'd say is it's the consistency that you yeah. mentioned earlier because they can be introduced but if they're not being uh, supported to use them in the same way by all the adults that are working yes. with them then then i don't think it would have had the same impact whereas mm-hmm. in both the cases i'm thinking of they were used very consistently mm. with the child, so that actually it it came to a point where we saw a decrease in this child's anxiety purely because he had his visual zones of regulation in front of him, mm. and I think that's because he it gave him the sense of control yeah. that there are things I can do. Yeah. So, but he needed to have the visual in front of him to feel. Mm. feel it and the year nine student I'm thinking of needed to have the visual in their pocket and it never come it never comes out but but that having that in the pocket is what gives him the sense of I can be in control mm-hmm. even if I get really anxious mm. I know there's things I can do yeah. to manage it it's not going to all go wrong so both of those uh, pupils used to experience anxiety to the level of panic mm-hmm. and i i'd say now we we're, we're probably getting on for a year of not seeing those levels of panic yeah wow, because they can they know what yeah. they can do particularly for the year four child i would say it took some time to find what worked for him mm-hmm. because the adults are thinking this is what will work yeah actually you need to, it's a trial and error so it's very much whereas the year 9 student could communicate better already mm. what they thought might help them yeah so we got there a bit quicker with them so it's it's a system not to be given up on mm. if it doesn't work at first it just means mm. we haven't found the right things yeah. that will work for that individual
2: yeah as we mentioned student. before
0: everyone is so different so yeah. we'll have to personalize these these strategies and maybe Another
2: um, kind of approach we've taken is to actually work directly, particularly when it's school-based anxiety, Mm. is to work with them to unpick what it is that they're, what is their anxiety around school. So, using a tool, um, one of the tools developed by a lady called Kate Ripley, the landscape of mapping the landscape of fear, Mm. is a fantastic um, resource that we've used, and actually, we've worked with our own. education psychology department here in West Sussex to develop a tool for emotionally based school avoiders and um, which incorporates some of Kate Ripley stuff and some other things and that's been really effective to actually spend some time with the pupil to unpick what it is about school and some you know some things that come out that you just wouldn't yeah. think of so I've had a couple of cases where I've done some of this work one was a, um, a lad who um, he, he with two years of two or three years at primary school, and then he'd moved to this particular. And we couldn't work out what it was about this particular year group that was mm. making him so anxious he didn't want to come to school. So when I started unpicking about him, and I said, "Well, look, I, I can. We part of it is you look at a map of the school and you colour areas in red, yellow, or um, oh, green yeah. as to how how anxious they make you." And I so saw I was pointing to you know the previous year's classes, and they were both green, and then this classroom was red, and I said was you know it's about what you how you unpick it with them, yeah so I was saying, so what is it about this year's classroom that's different to those two and he said well it's it's obvious, isn't it there, I was on the end of the corridor there I was on the end of the corridor this year, I've got a classroom either side of me, so I could hear the noise from both classrooms, so it was the mm-hmm. elevated noise levels right, that yeah. other people weren't detecting, yeah, they were managed, but it was really, really difficult for him, so in lots of ways, that was kind of an easy mm. fix yeah. for him we could Um, you know adapt the classroom he could in fact I think he might have moved classes in Mm -hmm. the end to be in a classroom Mm -hmm. um, that was on the end and uh, similarly we've had a case uh, I had another case where um, a lad who had you know significant learning difficulties in a mainstream school and when we got to breaking down what you know what's how he rated the subjects in terms of anxiety Mm -hmm. and one of them that he rated quite highly was French Mm -hmm. now you know from an outsider looking in at his him with his learning difficulties you would be thinking well why does he enjoy French? because that's probably one of his hardest mm. subjects so when I picked it with him and said to what is tell me about French what is it you like about French and he said well it's easy you go in and you start with you always start with counting then we do a song and then yeah. we play a game and then we finish with a song yeah. so it was ex- every lesson was exactly the same yeah. so there's that predictability mm-hmm. there's that lack of intolerance, uncertainty, because I absolutely know with French what I'm going to get. I may not be understanding what the words are, but I know what the structure of the lesson is going to be each time, and that makes me feel comfortable. Mm. So, again, that work of unpicking with the individuals and hearing Mm. what it is that they're finding, then you can start to work with them in developing strategies to manage Mm. those anxieties. Mm. Thank you very
0: much. Mm. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you would like to mention? Um there was lots of extremely valuable information i think
2: uh, one of the other things was um working with the child about thinking so i had a child who um he didn't see the point in lessons he was a year eight child people um and was starting to disengage with his lessons didn't see the point in them at all so again we took him out of that situation did some work with him i did did some of that mapping of the landscape of fear but the biggest um thing that had the most impact on with him was to do a a person-centered pathway with him yeah. so we mapped out for him and his family and people who cared about him what his long-term goals were um, and he wanted to be a train driver so then we were able to break down all the pieces of what he needed to do mm. to get to that long-term goal and when they were broken down into little chunks he could see the need to engage with his learning and lo and behold he was going back in the classroom and re-engaging right, with yeah. his learning because it made sense to him again yeah. but At that big conceptual level, it didn't. So he needed to have that broken down, so that uncertainty taken away to see what that clear pathway was.
1: I suppose the other thing that we've seen um, levels of anxiety come down and there'll be better engagement in learning is some of our schools have introduced sensory circuits at the start of every day or at certain points in Mm, the day when the child with autism needs it. Yeah. So the the ones that are at the start of the day tend to be for a range of Mm -hmm. pupils, so some with um, autism, but also some of our pupils with SEMH Mm -hmm. have benefited from them. And um, I think all of us who've experienced watching them in schools, you can see the children's level of anxiety come down, because often that journey to school, um, whether it's walking to school or coming by transport, raises anxiety mm-hmm. so that by the time the child is in school and that transition we know that mm. those points of transitioning from parents to school yeah. tend to be a bit of a peak in anxiety so the fact that they always know exactly what the first thing in, of the day will be yes. and it's a sensory circuit where they're actually their bodies becoming regulated mm-hmm. um, I think without fail our schools report that they see a better engagement at mm. the start of the day yeah and mm. um, for some of our pupils some of our schools are actually then introducing those sensory breaks during, during the, day the day for those yeah. with autism yeah. at, and again at points where it works best is where there's been that unpicking so that you know which are the peak times yes that then the children need to access them
0: mm
2: that's that's yeah absolutely those preventative strategies have a major impact um, on our pupils um, anxieties Mm. Mm.
0: yeah definitely oh thank you very much thank you and thank you to sebastian as well for i mean what a brilliant guide i will put a link in the show notes and um yeah your time is really appreciated my pleasure thank you thank you you. you very much Just wow. I hope you took something from this episode that you will put into your practice or perhaps it's helped you to further understand the anxiety in someone you care about. Understanding that anxiety presents differently in autistic individuals and is a separate entity that can be helped through different strategies. Recognizing this will help us to ensure that we can put effective supports in place I highly recommend you download and read the guide, share it with colleagues, share it with families, look into the recommended tools to support as it contains a bank of really great resources. Thank you once again to Helen Cottle, Jane Crawford and Sebastian Gage. You can find further information about this episode and the links mentioned at autismspectrumteacher.com and go to the podcast tab in the menu. You can find me on all social media channels. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn and YouTube with the username Steph Reed Autism. So come and connect and also come and join our Facebook group. It's called Autism and Inclusive Teaching, where we're sharing lots of ideas, resources, asking questions and supporting each other. So come and join the community. If you would like to learn more about what you can do to help autistic children and young people reach their potential and to maximize their outcomes, then definitely take a look at the range of online courses and coaching programs at AutismSpectrumTeacher.com. Using my extensive experience in teaching and supporting schools as an Autism and Send Consultant and training all tiers of school staff, as well as using effective research-based strategies and teaching approaches, I've designed the online courses to support and upskill teachers, support assistants, children's professionals, parents and carers to give you the practical tools and strategies and confidence so that you have them to draw upon when you need them and the continued support to implement what you've learned with positive impact. The information in the courses is accessible in bite-sized videos, downloadable resources and tasks that you can work through at your own pace, and you can go back to them whenever you want, if necessary, to support, reflection, and plan the implementation of those positive and impactful strategies and interventions. Visit autismspectrumteacher.com to find out more. I would absolutely love to see you inside the courses and to help you ensure children are reaching their potential. If you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast in your chosen podcast platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Android, and then you'll get the next episode sent straight to your device. I'd also love to hear what you think about the podcast, so please leave a review. And thank you for listening. And please share this information. It really needs to be heard. Okay, take care. Bye-bye.